everyone. Thanks for joining me for this extra special edition podcast in conjunction with NAVC's advocacy platform, Embrace. In this episode, I had the privilege of sitting down with Congressman Dr. Kurt Schrader of Oregon. Some of you may remember Dr. Schrader and I speaking a couple of years ago on the topic of One Health. He is always wonderful to speak with, and in this talk, we covered another important topic. At the end of this congressional term, there will no longer be representation in Congress from the veterinary industry. Dr. Schrader and I discussed why it's so important to have representation from the animal health industry and the unique perspective that animal health professionals can bring to this role. If this episode speaks to you and you feel you might be the right person to continue to represent the veterinary industry in Congress, be sure to check out my interview with Mike Bober to learn more about what it's like inside a political campaign and the challenges and excitement that it can bring. Congressman Kurt Schrader represents Oregon's 5th Congressional District. Before being elected to Congress, Dr. Schrader, a farmer and veterinarian for more than 30 years, established and managed Clackamas County Veterinary Clinic in Oregon City and operated his farm where he sold organic fruits and vegetables. In 1996, he was elected to the Oregon State House of Representatives, followed by the Oregon State Senate in 2003 and the U.S. Congress in 2008. Congressman Schrader attended Cornell University where he received his bachelor's in government in 1973. He received his veterinary degree from the University of Illinois in 1977. He currently serves as a member of the House Committee on Energy and Commerce, which oversees a wide portfolio of issues ranging from healthcare to the environment. Dr. Schrader is also a member of the Blue Dog Coalition, New Democrat Coalition, for which he serves as co-chair of the Affordable and Accessible Healthcare Task Force, and the only bipartisan working group in the House, the Problem Solvers Caucus. All right, let's go ahead and get into our talk. Well, Dr. Schrader, thank you so much for coming on the podcast with me today. It's it's such an honor to have you on. Oh, thanks, Cassie. Good to be back. Uh, enjoy talking to uh, uh, my friends, colleagues, and uh, allies here in the animal health industry uh, space. It's always good to be back home. Absolutely, and we're we're happy to have you. And I guess this is of extra importance because coming up into this next term, we are going to be without an animal health representative in Congress. You know, I guess kind of what what kind of implications do you see for, you know, why is it so important that we keep animal health representation in Congress? I found that a lot of my colleagues, while they love their animals or uh, do a great job on the farm or ranch, they are unaware for the most part of what it takes to make sure that we have all the opportunities and all the products that we need out here to take care of our fur-footed friends. And there's a fair amount of uh, misconception about, you know, how uh, veterinarians and the animal health industry plays in the pharmaceutical space, in the uh, public health space. I mean, in public health, in my opinion, veterinarians are much better trained in zoonotic diseases than our medical colleagues. And as we saw with the COVID uh, pandemic, critical to have a united response I, I've introduced and uh, we've got elements of the past uh, into legislation and law for a one health approach uh, to pandemics where, believe it or not, the agencies uh, who are all well-intended have not been working well together. Uh, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic where USDA, the Department of Agriculture and the uh, uh, Department of Health came in with two different approaches 
as folks were coming off those boats with COVID. Remember uh, the early cruise yeah. line problems? So it, it's important to have veterinarians that understand the totality uh, of public health and the implications to be to be involved. And, and frankly, sometimes just to negotiate uh, good deals between our livestock friends and our, our pet friends. That can sometimes get to be a little controversial out there. Sure, sure. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, my sister is actually a physician, and her and I kind of compare and contrast sometimes. Uh-huh. And it is really interesting, like the different approaches, the different trainings, you know, and our different strengths about things that we know about, like you said, zoonotic diseases and some of these other things. So, you know, even just in our little little micro environment there, the importance of a one health approach and us learning from each other, I can see the benefits of that just being hugely amplified as all these different agencies work together with all of our different knowledge and training. Yep. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, one of the burning questions that many of us have is what is it like to be a U.S. congressperson? Can you give us some insight into what the experience has been like for you and who you think would be a good fit for a position like this? Well, another veterinarian, uh, veterinary technician, uh, you know, pick your uh, animal health uh, field and I think you'd be great here. It is, uh, as I was alluding to before, it's really important. Uh, People are well-intended. Animals have a lot of cachet on the hill. Pet night in Washington, D.C. is a big, big deal, brings everyone together, Democrat, Republican, staff, member, you name it, uh, great night. But uh, again, the, the experience in what it takes to deliver good public health care as well as good veterinary care is lacking unless you've got a, an animal health professional serving the United States Congress. Um, it's been fun, sort of, big quotes on fun. It's been very meaningful, <laughs> for sure. Uh, it can get a little frustrating. But I'll say this, uh, that when you're in the animal healthcare space as a veterinarian, it doesn't matter what your party label is, people turn to you, give you a little credibility. We were dealing with uh, an issue in the last Congress, last couple of Congresses regarding uh, conditional use permits for different types of medications. As you all know, that in the veterinary field, it's sometimes tough to get uh, these drug companies through all these clinical trials, run through all these tests. For a limited population in the veterinary space compared to the human space. So we oftentimes get conditional approval for use of these drugs. And there was a lot of controversy about that. People were, some people were worried though, the drug companies are trying to skirt their responsibility by doing the full uh, full clinical trial, full, full meal deal. And, and that was not the case. We know that's not the case. It's a question of economics. And uh, we want to make sure that we have same, the same access that our uh, human friends do to a lot of these life-saving drugs. I mean, whether it's in the cardiovascular space, the respiratory space, you know, some of the orthopedic stuff that's going on now. Uh, I mean, it's 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 pretty exciting. So we want to have that opportunity. So if I had not been there, uh, I think some of my colleagues, particularly on the Democratic side, would have not allowed some of the conditional use permits that we currently have today for major and minor species. So that's just one example of how a veterinarian or a health professional, I'm a health professional, can, can really make a difference. Uh, again, the credibility is, 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 is huge. We had another issue that I think was absolutely critical to, the, to veterinarians. I alluded to it in a, another uh, podcast that for a while there, the Drug Enforcement Agency was going to take away veterinarians' ability to carry narcotics in their uh, ambulatory vehicles, whether it was a house call service in the city or a farm call service uh, in rural America. And, uh, you know, they, they were worried about, you know, frankly, getting it, narcotics getting into 
uh, bad hands, uh, illicit purposes, whatever. Uh, so you're only allowed to have it at your at your office. Well, that doesn't work. And uh, I remember a good friend of mine, veterinarian from Florida, Ted Yoho, and I, he was serving at the time, too. I uh, said, well, you don't really mean veterinarian. You're talking about other people. And he said, no, no, we mean you, too. He said, well, that's just not that's not right. We can't do our job. We can't provide humane euthanasia. We can't provide good analgesia in the farm or at the house. Uh, you know, we can't do our job. And uh, they were adamant. So we actually had to pass a bill. We had to pass a law to enable veterinarians to be able to carry these products in their trucks uh, or the cars as they practice uh, around the country. So it's a, a very, very you know, clear example of where you have to have veterinarians, have to have health professionals, animal health professionals involved, uh, or bad things could happen to our four-footed friends and our ability to practice medicine. Goodness. And, you know, as a mobile practitioner myself who directly benefits from the Veterinary Mobility Act, I can't thank you enough for being there to advocate for that and put it into effect. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's amazing what people don't know. They're trying to do this is often the case. I mean, I, in politics, uh, everyone assumes the other person is uh, has some nefarious purpose and they're after you. And that's not actually often the case. A lot of it is well-intentioned type of work that has un unintended consequences that can be quite harmful. And that's a really good example. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that speaks to the importance of that one health approach of, you know, we're talking about different health agencies working together, but really a lot of different industries, maybe not having a full understanding of the way each other works and, you know, the different implications that passing different laws and rules can have on individual industries. So having good representation across the board is so important. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Again, uh, the skills you gain as a veterinarian uh, or a veterinary technician, frankly, as you go through uh, uh, the curriculum and learning how to analyze problems, look at them at least slightly objectively, come up with a plan of action and realize you've got to get something done. Unfortunately, some of my colleagues in Congress and even in the state legislature, they're there to proselytize and not actually get stuff done. And that's not helpful. That, that does not move our country forward. doesn't move the animal health industry forward. It's not safe for our pets uh, or our livestock. So uh, I think it's really important, the background we have, uh, to lend a little rationality to a sometimes excited discussion here in Washington, D.C. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Gosh, that's a whole nother discussion right there. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I don't think you know we can overstate the importance, and I think you've done an amazing job of illustrating the importance of having an animal health professional on the Hill. But when I think about it from a personal perspective, I mean, it, it, I'll be honest, it seems really overwhelming. It's a huge responsibility. You're in the public eye. Can you talk about, you know, what kind of encouragement you would offer to people who think maybe I am the right person for this and, and how to handle that responsibility and handle being in the public eye? Well, if you've been a veterinarian uh, or veterinary technician or, and had to make, frankly, life and death decisions for your patients out there, you can handle this job. You can handle this job. It's not as easy as I thought sitting uh, at my desk or behind the exam table or at the surgery suite because you're also making some very serious decisions, as you alluded to, Cassie, for the people in your community, your state, and your country. Uh, but if you've made those tough life and death decisions back home, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay here. You'll have uh, the ability to make those decisions. There are a number of my colleagues, again, both in the state legislature and here in Congress, that are not used to making decisions. 
And so you kind of go along with whatever or defer to others. And certainly uh, if you've got expertise in an area, yes, you should defer to these people to a degree. But oftentimes, you know, you just want, want to be part of the herd. You want to be uh, one of the folks that help set the course to make sure that everyone benefits at the end of the day. That is our job. And I think you have that job uh, in your in your practice. Uh, you have to make sure that you take everyone's point of view into account, uh, whether you agree with it initially or not, because it's valid. It is their point of view. If you want your your client to uh, give your your their cat pill for whatever problem three four times a day, man, you better make sure you can explain that pretty well. That's a tough deal, and I think that enables veterinarians to have a, a unique voice. Because we're used to explaining sometimes very difficult problems, whether it's in the health space or, frankly, in the public policy space to our constituents or our clients. Uh, so they don't feel you're talked down to. They feel like they understand and they respect the fact that you're bringing them along as part of the team to, to solve that problem. And so all that stuff, I think, plays very well into the public service space. Uh, you have to have a bit of a thick skin. And frankly, uh, usually your family has to have a thicker skin. Uh, a lot of that stuff, we're used to having people uh, sometimes misstate what we're talking about or challenge us. But, you know, your family, uh, your family takes it, I think, sometimes a little more uh, to heart than, than you do. So you got to make sure your whole family's on board when you step into the public service realm. But it is so important. And, and uh, I remember very, very much, very vividly, my first State of the Union, I'm sitting in the United States House of Representatives. I remember watching it on TV many times. And, you know, the different senators walk into the House chamber, the Supreme Court members, President of the United States. And uh, I'm sitting there in, in, in real time. And I see these people walk by. I'm thinking, well, you know, I know these people and they're not actually all that special. <laughs> they're, they're, they're a lot like me and a lot like you. They've worked hard to be where they are and they do have some skills. Don't get me wrong, but they're just like us. And that can be good and it can be not so good, depending on your point of view. But uh, it, this is something I think that everyone should have uh, opportunity to do. And I, another little example, when I was in the Oregon State Legislature, I uh, ran for office, had a bunch of friends, obviously in my hometown, and they backed me and they were very helpful in the campaign and uh, and then I remember one, one woman in particular, a good close friend who had never, ever thought of public service, thought it was way beyond her ability. She, there's something she, she couldn't even imagine doing. She saw me do it and she knew who I was. She knew I was a real person. She said, well, gosh, I'm a real person too. And she ran for the city council in my hometown and won. So, uh, so it, it's, it's empowering and, uh, you know, believe in yourself a little bit. If you put, spend eight years in college, uh, between college and veterinary school, uh, or getting your veterinary tech degree, you got the skills to do this job. That is massive encouragement, I feel like you just offered. You made it seem very tangible and very possible. So hopefully that will kind of light a fire for some people out there, just like it did for your friend who ran for the city council. I, I think that's really good advice. I remember listening to an interview not too long ago. It was with, with someone who was highly successful, and they said, you know, what advice would you give to people and her advice was, don't be so impressed. You know, a lot of times people who do these these very public things, these very big jobs are, like you said, a lot like, you know, a lot like the rest of us. And, you know, that, that a lot of people have the training and the know-how to to really do some good. No, absolutely. And uh, frankly, your 
better trained and have, in my opinion, a more thoughtful process than many of my colleagues <laughs> in Congress right now. So if you look at them on TV, hey, you know you can do a better job. I love that. I love that. Well, we've talked a lot about veterinarians and veterinary technicians being suitable for this job. Do you feel like that's the role that's best suited to do this job or does it extend to the greater pet care community? Oh, I think the greater pet care community, anyone that's got experience in pet world or frankly, livestock world, I think it's important because, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're not just uh, looking at the animals uh, on television and watching the nature shows. We actually live, eat and breathe it with our pets. And, uh, you know, if you're on the farm with the animals you take care of, and I think that lends a, a more realistic approach to some of the solutions the first step, usually, like in veterinary medicine, to anything you're dealing with, is agree what the problem is. Agree that this is the problem. There are sometimes many solutions for it, and uh, you collaborate with your colleagues or your veterinary team to come up with the best solution for a pet's problem, or in this case, a country or a state's problem. And you can you can get stuff done that way, uh, and that that I think is is hugely valuable. So anyone in the health space, uh, healthcare space, animal healthcare space, uh, a lot of the industry experts understand what goes on. They interface regularly with the pet world and uh, livestock world. It lends, again, a little bit of reality. Everyone looks at, uh, uh, you know, it's the old common sense saying, what's common sense? Common sense is what's happened within your 50 square miles of where you live. Outside of that, someone else has a whole different view of what common sense is. And so it's good in uh, the United States Congress, you got 435 House members, 100 Senate members. And you, if you're open to it, and veterinarians, again, uniquely and animal health care professionals, uh, uniquely suited to listening. There's not enough listening that goes on, in my opinion, in the political world. Uh, we need people with good listening skills, not just good talking skills, but good listening skills to embrace what people are talking about, find out what is the real problem and come at it with several different solutions to, to actually solve that problem that respect those differences of opinion. That's the name of the game. You do it every day in your your I was going to say, yeah, you just described my typical day. <laughs> there you go. Well, so it sounds like there's a lot of people who could potentially do some good. So I really hope this podcast gets out there and and reaches a lot of people and, and offers them some empowerment if they've thought about pursuing a campaign to run for Congress or even, you know, starting small and, and you know, maybe eventually going that direction. Well, and that'd be my recommendation, Cassie. Uh, and you know, I, I believe it or not, it does take some skills, <laughs> I think. To be I would believe that. Member of Congress. Uh <laughs> Look pretty easy when I was sitting back home watching football and in between horse calls. Uh, uh, heck, anybody can do this. You're sitting around making calls and you know, I can do that. Heck, make tougher calls every day. But uh, it is not so easy. Uh, matter of fact, I remember going to state legislature from my veterinary practice. I got talked into it uh, by a friend of mine. Thought, well, geez, I'll just do veterinary medicine in the morning and then I'll go you know, vote in the afternoon in the Oregon State Legislature. Well, I was quickly disabused of that because to get <laughs> speed on the issues, to be moderately knowledgeable and actually do a good job, you have to you have to study and work at it. And again, folks in the animal health care space, uh, we know that we've lived that through our training. We can actually do a much better job again, I think, than uh, uh, than a lot of folks. But I would urge, you know, again, don't get intimidated. Uh, I started out on the Canby Planning Commission. I liked it because I didn't have to get elected. He got appointed. And it wasn't uh, like everyone would beat down the doors to be on the planning commission for the big town of Canby, Oregon. Uh, 
but I found I liked it. Uh, and it, only had, it was a meeting like once a month. I ended up, I became chair of the commission and we made it twice a month because we were doing a lot of really great things for the growth and development of the community. And uh, I could keep my day job and uh, found out that I was good at solving the problems like I've talked about. And then my buddy taught me into running for the state legislature. As I said, it wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be, but I enjoyed that. And I, Back then, Oregon legislature met for like six months every two years. I think it's like three months every year. But if you with relief veterinarians helping out, you can get the you can do that. Still do some public service and keep your practice going. And then, you know, I was getting to the point in my case where I've been in business and practice veterinary medicine for over 30 years, almost 35 years and looking to get to move on, retire, have someone buy my practice out anyway. Found a great partner to do that. And uh, then this job with Congress opened up and I thought, well, geez, uh, you know, I could again continue to do public service, not in the veterinary space, but maybe in the uh, the human political space and ran for the seat and won and then uh, spent uh, 14 years in the United States Congress and felt like we've made a, a huge, huge difference, not just in the veterinary world, but again, those problem solving skills were able to, you know, lower prescription drug prices. I worked personally very, very hard on that. We've got a big infrastructure bill passed that's going to keep jobs alive for the next uh, 10 to 20 years for folks. So you, you, you feel pretty good sometimes about the service. Uh, it's tough work, but, but meaningful. Absolutely. And, you know, I love listening to your excitement and your passion for all the good that you've been able to do, you know, hearing about the time that you've taken to make sure you review everything in depth so you can make an educated decision and really do a good job. And it sounds like you've had massive impacts, you know, in the healthcare space. So first of all, thank you for all of that. And I wanted to ask you, I feel like we've talked about so many different things that you've been able to do to for the greater good. Where do you feel like you had the greatest impact as a veterinarian in Congress? Oh, well, I guess I've alluded to it a little bit. I'd say the big three would be the One Health Bill, you know, trying to get our, our, our country's uh, care services organized. Or, and it's not just healthcare. It's EPA. Uh, it's other governments, other states. Make sure we have a unified approach. To public health emergencies, that's one thing that COVID lay bare or, or lack of organization that way. So I think that we, the work we've done in that space, I think, has been huge. Uh, the Veterinary Mobility Act, a little bill that is critical to our community's ability to service our clients and to get the job done uh, here in the 21st century. I think that's just really huge. And then, again, when uh, I'm on the Energy and Commerce Committee, and that deals with a lot, it's also a uh, pretty much all the healthcare stuff, dealing with drugs and products uh, availability for veterinarians. And uh, not just the uh, conditional use permits, but compounding uh, and other tools we use to deliver quality healthcare to our, our patients. Those would be the areas, the big three, that I think it's been very important for a veterinarian to be here and feel uh, lucky to be that guy. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, coming from the standpoint of somebody who directly benefits from a lot of that in, in the industry, I agree. That's hugely important. And thank you so much for being there to make sure that all of that happened. Well, a lot of, uh, you know, when I was in private practice, uh, Washington, D.C., even, you know, Salem, the capital of the state of Oregon, was way out of my mind and sight. But uh, once you get engaged a little bit, you realize how important it is because 
you know, if you're not you know, the old the old adage, you know, if you're not uh, at the table, you're on the table. Someone's going to be doing something to you that you may not want at the end of the day. So it's important to have representation in the uh, animal healthcare space in the United States Congress or your state legislatures. Yes, I feel like you're doing an excellent job of illustrating that. Like I know I'm convinced. But do you feel like the same viewpoint could be offered by a human medical perspective, or is this kind of unique to animal health care? Well, I'm biased. <laughs> we're, sure, we're me too. Our, our fellow docs <laughs> on this. And, you know, the doctors have a, a, a different approach, if you will. Uh, they don't deal with herd health. Uh, they're dealing with one patient at a time. We deal with kennels, breeding outfits, uh, a stable of horses or herd of cattle, sheep or hogs. I mean, so we are uniquely able to understand, I think, uh, as I said before, the zoonotic disease concerns and good public health practices and keep it in perspective. That's one thing I learned from COVID, at least my impression. I know every veterinarian, every individual has a different view of how to be safe during COVID, but uh, I'd like to think most veterinarians were able to keep it in perspective, be safe, but uh, not be not get too overly concerned, you know, be concerned, but, you know, keep it in perspective. And that's a that's a role that a healthcare professional, I'm a healthcare professional, can provide in these critical uh, these critical emergencies that we see. So, uh, again, uh, I think it's been important to, to be a veterinarian here in the United States Congress. Absolutely. And, you know, again, I think you've done such an excellent job of illustrating that and, and how important this truly is. I want to get into, you know, maybe some of the, the unique parts of being a veterinarian aside from the legislation. You know, I think of they, they talk about when people run for office that you're shaking hands and kissing babies. What was that like for you? Were you, were you kissing puppies? Like, how was that campaign trail? Hey, you should look at my uh, one of my campaign commercials. Uh, I'm there with a little puppy in my arms. Oh. <laughs> Veterinary medicine and, uh, you know, the life I've led and uh, how it's important to, again, translate all this stuff into uh, into good public policy. So uh, I'm more with the, with the animals. I had another ad where uh, I was about wrangling fellow politicians to get to a solution on a problem. And I had a herd of dogs running around <laughs> behind me. Uh, another great one where I was on the farm and uh, dealing with chickens and goats and uh, so yes, I yeah, I did Love a lot that. of. I'm not kissing too many baby babies, but maybe animal babies. I did quite a little bit of that. It was uh, it was kind of fun. That's a fun campaigns can be brutal. But that was kind of a fun part. Absolutely, that sounds like fun. No, it was great. It was really good. And you get yeah. The other thing I thought veterinary medicine was good for me. Uh, I started my own uh, horse practice after working with a veterinarian for a couple of years figured heck I wanted to go out on my own and one of the hardest things I ever did because I'm more believe it or not more uh, uh, introspective and not so outgoing was to travel from farm to farm my pickup truck is trying to introduce myself to all these ranches and farms out there saying hey you know I just got a veterinary school I know a few things please consider me uh, when you're a horse or or uh, sheep or cattle need a little bit of help because uh, I'm available. And, you know, put yourself out there. That's what you got to do when you're in the political world. And uh, thank goodness I had done that or had to do that in the veterinary world uh, as I started my practice and uh, served me in good stead. And I serve everyone uh, on the podcast here in good stead. Yeah, absolutely. It's good you had that experience going into it and, and the the positivity that comes with that. And, you know, it can be really encouraging when you put yourself out there and then you get that positive response. That's right. 
That's right. And most people, again, the good news in the animal healthcare industry, you got because you're dealing with pets uh, or animals, you've got some instant credibility. People love. We saw it during COVID, right? How many animals got adopted during COVID? I swear half my office in Washington, D.C. decided to adopt a, a dog or a cat during COVID. Oh, so yeah. It's so reassuring. It's part of uh, human DNA to connect with our domestic animals in a real personal way. And uh, so that that's, I think, extremely helpful. And so it's interesting that you say that, that, you know, half of your colleagues adopted a, a dog during COVID because kind of as you alluded to, pets are a big deal in this environment. Did you ever have a situation where you had to take off your congressman hat and put your veterinarian hat back on, not from a from a legislative point of view, but like a, an animal emergency or animal questions in the office? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was pretty pretty routine, whether it was my own staff whose dog or uh, cat had a problem uh, or some of my colleagues in Congress would you know, when we chatted, uh, hey, doc, got this horse, you know, and uh, we start talking and what have you. And I uh, always said, hey, hey, you know, it's better to get your own veterinarian, <laughs> eyes on your animal. But I'll give you my advice for what it's worth and uh, uh, hopefully get them uh, to the right person to get the, get their their pet the help they actually need. Sure. But still keeping your, you know, skills and knowledge sharp in the meantime. Well, a little bit. It is tough. You, know, you guys all know it's a tough profession. Things change rapidly. I mean, I feel very, very fortunate. Uh, in my humble opinion, I grew up during the golden years of veterinary medicine. You know, post Jane Barrett, all he had basically was liniments, potions, uh, a little scalpel here and there. But geez, you know, antibiotics came into their own. The pain medications are so much better now. IVs for pets, come on, that just didn't happen back in the day. Dental work. Uh, diets now that are life-saving uh, for a lot of cats and dogs uh, in particular. Uh, it's been an exciting, exciting career. I've enjoyed it immensely. And at least when I ser served in the veterinary world, uh, it was a lifestyle, not just a job, but a lifestyle. And I uh, tried to keep in perspective uh, with my family. I think that's very important. I, I think your generation, younger generation does a better job of doing that. But I love being a veterinarian, still consider myself a veterinarian. Oh, absolutely. And and of course, I know I still consider you a veterinarian, you know, kind of once you're in the club, I, I think right. you get to stay in. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, Dr. Schrader, this has been fantastic. I've had so much fun talking to you about, you know, the technical parts and the importance of having animal health representation in Congress. And it's just been so delightful to hear that from the perspective of a veterinarian. I think you've done a great job of illustrating the importance here. And also, it's just been really fun to hear your stories. <laughs> well, most veterinarians have lots of stories. Some are yes. not, you're not able to discuss uh, in the public setting, but you know, most of them are really pretty, pretty exciting. It's been a great career, a lot of fun. And uh, you know, being in Congress is kind of a capstone to a career in public service and really encourage everyone out there to consider it. It's not beyond you uh, with the training you've had. Do baby steps at a time so you get more and more comfortable. And hopefully one of you will serve in the United States Congress as an animal health care professional. Well, I think you've done a great job of making a case for why we need someone and, and hopefully offering a lot of encouragement for anyone out there who's considered making a run. Well, thank you, Cassie. It's been a lot of fun. Appreciate your help. Yes, absolutely. Thank you again for coming on the podcast. All right. Take care, everybody. 
thank you again for listening to this special edition podcast from Vetfolio and NAVC Embrace. And of course, thank you so much, Dr. Schrader, for joining us. As a community, we need your voice to be heard, so together we can make a difference. I hope this episode inspires you to aim high, and who knows, maybe you're the next voice we need representing the veterinary industry. For more episodes like this, click on the Education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this talk, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.